You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Christmas is an exciting time. I remember as a kid always being really, really excited for Christmas to come. A lot of anticipation awaiting the day uh, that uh, we would wake up and celebrate the birth of Jesus and also open presents. That was an exciting time. I remember as, as a kid that uh, on Christmas Eve, I couldn't wait to get to bed on Christmas. Well, if you know me, you already know that most nights I can't wait to get to bed. I'm an, I'm an early to bed kind of a guy. But especially on Christmas Eve, I could not wait to get to bed because the earlier I went to bed, the quicker Christmas morning would come. Um, I remember waking up. My eyes would wake up very, very early, uh, starting at 3, maybe 4 a.m. in the morning, getting excited, going out to the tree, waiting, and uh, turning on the lights, looking at uh, the presents that I know my parents put under there, and uh, we were excited to open those, and uh, just beholding the tree, beholding all the tinsel, uh, getting excited. But I also knew this, my parents weren't going to be up for a couple hours, probably three hours. And so I would sit there in anticipation. I'd have to go and wake my brothers up because they weren't up either. Uh, but uh, I just remember a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement. Uh, now, I don't know if you all share those memories. Some of us don't have the greatest memories of Christmas, and our hearts are with you in that too. We know that as joyful as it is for some, sometimes it brings a lot of pain for others. And so our prayers are with you in that. But just think about getting excited for something. Maybe it's not Christmas. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it was anticipating your wedding day. Maybe it was anticipating the birth of your child. Maybe it was graduation. Maybe it was just some great big event in your life, and you were looking forward to that day. You were anticipating that day, and you were excited. We're going to be talking about that today a little bit. Thinking about Christmas, being excited for Christmas, but we are in the church age, and we have so much to be excited for as we are awaiting the return of Jesus Christ, our Savior, again. As those who have been saved by faith, we have so much ahead of us to get excited about, so much to anticipate. We can't even fathom it right now. There's so much blessing coming, so much ready for us in Jesus Christ, in His return. We are to be the most excited people around. So in this Christmas series that we've been going through over the last three Sundays, uh, we've been looking at George Handel's Messiah, and at the very beginning we thought, well, that's kind of strange for a sermon series, but uh, the reason we were doing that is because we were looking at the lyrics of Messiah, and it's all 100% Scripture. As, as, as the guy who wrote uh, Charles Jennings put the Scriptures together, it was leading us through the, the history of the promised nativity, right? Last week we looked at the present passion of Jesus, and today we're looking at the future glory. So in that first movement, like I said, we looked at the promised nativity, Jesus' birth, that it was foretold for thousands of years. This was planned by God even before he created the earth. He knew that we were going to sin, and he knew that he had to have the plan. He had to send himself. God is on a rescue mission for us. He was on a rescue mission for us in Jesus Christ. And then as we looked at the second movement last week, we saw even more of the gospel on display. We saw the present passion of our Messiah. 
that, that Christ was passionate as he pursued us all the way to the cross. He lived to take our sins away. He died to bear the wrath that we deserve. He rose again, conquering sin and death, and then he ascended to heaven. And if you remember in that second movement of Handel's Messiah, uh, the last, uh, the, the very end was that very famous uh, hallelujah chorus because of Jesus Christ reigning on his throne. That was the climax of all. But then there's more. As, as the Messiah comes to its closing movement, we're focusing on the future glory of our King and our future glory with Him. So much to look forward to. That the story isn't over in Christ's ascension. There is so much unfathomable, so much amazing, so much glorious good news to come. And today we're going to see that as we look at God's Word. We're going to see four glorious eternal truths to get excited about. Four glorious eternal realities in Jesus Christ and our future glory with Him. But before we do that, let's pray and then we'll go to God's Word. Lord, we do thank you again that, that you have granted us the privilege to wake up in this world, uh, to receive those new tender mercies that you have provided for us today, to live in light of the grace of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you have, you have called us, you have saved us, and that you have raised us up to live for you. And Lord, as we live these lives as Christians today, as we, as we walk in your footsteps, as we live in the strength of the Spirit, Lord, I pray that today we would have a renewed, uh, renewed vision of what it means to wait for you, to anticipate your return again, to long for our future glory with you. Lord, would you do that today to us through your word? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So if you've got a Bible in your hands, would you open up to Job? Uh, Job, the wisdom literature in, in the Old Testament. Just go to the Psalms and then take a hard left. It's just before the Psalms. So Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 26. Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 26. We're looking at the words of Job. If anybody remembers Job, you know that it's, it's, a, it's a challenging story. Uh, this man who suffered much. And so we're looking at his, his words here. Uh, about 4,000 years ago, this is when, when Job would have lived. This is when he was crying out in hope, crying out amidst incredible suffering, incredible suffering. And in that suffering, he cries out in Job chapter 19, verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Yet in my flesh I shall see God. So as we read these words of Job, let us remember the story that's behind here, right? This is about 4,000 years ago, a long time ago way before Christ came. At Job 1.1, we learn that Job was a blameless, he was an upright man. He was one who feared God and he turned away from evil. And God richly blessed Job. He had many sons and daughters. He had many possessions. He had sheep. He had camel. He had oxen. He had servants. But then we soon learn that along with all of this blessing for Job came some testing. Job's faith 
began to be tested by his Lord by bringing massive calamities in his life. First of all, Job lost, um, lost many servants by the sword of murderous neighbors. He lost all his sheep. He lost all of his oxen, lost all of his camels by, by fire from heaven. The next, he lost all of his sons and daughters in a massive windstorm, a tornado of some sort. Remember, they were dining together, and this windstorm came up, and down came the house. And through all of this, we know that Satan was behind this. At the very beginning of this, Satan was wandering the earth, and he was come to present himself to God, and God asked him, have you considered my servant Job? And he allowed Satan to bring all these calamities into his life to test Job's faith. And so he lost all of these things. Health. He also lost his health, uh, health in Job chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. It says there, Satan struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself when he sat in the ashes. Whatever the disease was, he was outcast. He was outcast to the ash heap outside the city where he would try to relieve this extreme pain by, by cutting himself with these shards of pottery all over his body. And then on top of that, his wife and his friends scrutinized him and they questioned his integrity. And instead of comfort, they brought judgment and they brought accusations. And so Job suffered. He, had, he suffered this extreme anguish all alone. But the beauty of the story of Job, that in all of this, in all of this extreme anguish and sorrow, he never cursed God. He never cursed God. He suffered such extreme anguish. Even though he questioned God, and in the middle of it he wanted to die and wondered why he was even born, because of all the pain, Job was brought to the very edge of his faith. In extreme emotional anguish, he trusted God. He trusted God. Remember, he wasn't focused on relief in this life. He would have welcomed that. He wasn't focused on that. Where his hope was focused was in his death, in his future glory when he is resurrected from the dead. That's why it says here, when his Redeemer would live, he says, and stand on the earth in the last days. And he says, after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. That's the promise he was holding on to. That yes, relief here would be wonderful, but nothing is in comparison to the risen Lord coming back, resurrecting me from the dead, and in my flesh I shall see him face to face. He was waiting for the day to see God face to face. Who, who, who here is excited for that day? To see the face of God, this God you have been reading about in His Word, to see Him face to face. Well, Jesus is our Redeemer, and He is coming again. Get ready for His infinite presence. That's your first point. Get ready for His infinite presence. He's coming back. Our Redeemer lives just like Job said, our Redeemer lives and He is coming back. 
amidst the busyness and the chaos and the temptations and the sufferings of this present world, are you excited to see his face? Are you excited to see his face? Are you anticipating the day when he is going to return? Are you, are you watching the horizon? As Christians, we need to be watching the horizon when God comes back in the clouds. So as you plot out your, your next events of the week, or, or you cross off the days of the calendar to that next vacation or birthday, or even this Christmas, as we're anticipating a lot of things here, are we anticipating the return of our Lord? Are you crying out like Job, that I know that my Redeemer lives, that He is coming back, that in my death or His return, I will be raised from the dead. I will be raised from the dead in my flesh, and I am going to see him face to face. Psalm 17, King David prays amidst a people of worldliness. He prays in Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So, so we have God's word, right? We see him through his word. It's dim, right? We're not seeing the physical presence of Jesus, but we're going to see it. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That is the promise for us. Uh, the Apostle John also writes in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, our glorified, risen Savior returning. We shall see him as he is. Can you imagine that? Are you ready for that? Are you watching for him? Are, are you living in light of his return? Are your hopes in the things here or are they there when he comes back? The promised face of your Savior. So we would agree that uh, this, this world provides lots of great things, right? Lots of good things for us in this, this world. We've got family. We've got friends. We've got beauty. We've got creation, we have all kinds of stuff. We have health, things to enjoy, right? These are great things to enjoy. Remember Job, he had all of this. He had all of these things and he had more. But the beauty of the gospel is this, that as good as these things are, they are fleeting. They are temporary. They will not last. Yes, they are good for the temporary time we have here but there's so much more coming. We often feel a lot of tragedy when these kinds of things are taken away from us. We think about health. We think about relationships or relationship breakdown or conflict. Uh, the world brings a lot of strife with it, a lot of agony as well, right? As good as those things are, this world has a lot of sin in it. And in the middle of that, we can lose our hope. We can lose our faith. We can be downcast. 
But friends, in Christ, as Christians, we have everlasting hope. We have everlasting hope. As many darts as Satan can throw at us, we have everlasting hope in Jesus Christ. As many darts as Satan can throw, nothing compares to the coming glory of Christ. He cannot take that away from us. And so Jesus is coming. This is your hope. So as you're thinking of this Christmas, as you're walking uh, in these next couple of days, celebrating with family, some of us are also grieving. Some of us are also suffering. Our hope is not here. Our hope is in Him, in His face, His infinite presence. Cannot wait to be in the infinite presence, the face of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Well, not only is He coming, He's coming soon. He is coming soon, and when he comes, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, you can turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 57, he begins to write about the instantaneous, miraculous transformation that's going to take place at his return. He's writing about the resurrection, which leads to our second point, that he's coming soon. Get ready for forever freedom. Get ready, get excited for forever freedom. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. So much in there. What Paul is explaining to the church of Corinth is, is the mystery of the future resurrection. The future resurrection of the saints, you and me. Which is going to ultimately res result in eternal transformation. Eternal transformation. We shall be changed, it says. We shall be changed. All believers, when Christ comes, shall be changed. When he comes back, and he's coming back soon, the Bible teaches us that there is a resurrection of the dead. Think all the way back to Ezekiel, right? The valley of the dry bones. Think of the prophecies in Daniel, and even the words that we just read of Job, in my flesh I shall see the Lord. He doesn't just say, when I die, I shall see the Lord. He says, in my flesh, in my body, I shall see the Lord. This is resurrection, and we believe this. This is throughout all, all Scripture. This is essential doctrine of our understanding of our future hope as Christians. That just as Jesus himself was resurrected from the dead, so too you and I are going to be raised from the dead. We believe it. We believe in a bodily resurrection. Even our, our church doctrine, if you go to our church doctrine, we say this, we believe in a bodily resurrection of both the saved and the lost. The lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath and hell. The saved will be raised to eternal joy 
in the new heaven and the new earth in the manifested presence of God, the face of God, his eternal presence. So even though it's hard for us to try to comprehend, we try to comprehend this resurrection from the dead, thinking about our decaying bodies and, and how over thousands of years we're sharing billions of molecules. How is God going to do this? How is he going to raise us from the grave? Well, the same God who is raising you from the grave is the same God who spoke creation into existence. This is not a problem for him. He's perfect. He is our powerful creator, and he will bring about the resurrection from the dead. He will raise us up to perfected glory, perfected human glory. It's absolutely incredible. He says this in, in verse 52, that this miraculous transformation is going to be immediate. It's going to be surprising. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The original Greek is really speaking about something that is very, very quick. The amount of time that it takes to glance at something. Just think of your eyeball and, you, and something catches your eye. The, the speed it takes your eye to see that that's how fast this is going to be. And it's all going to take place, and there's going to be this loud blast of a trumpet. The trumpet will sound. The trumpet speaks of victory throughout all of Scripture. And the dead will be raised imperishable. Literally undefiled, incorruptible, perfect. Perfect. We shall be changed. That perfect change is coming, and it is coming soon. Freedom from the flesh is coming. It is coming soon. Anybody excited to be free from your fallen flesh? I mean, you're, you're going to be raised up in perfect human glory in the flesh, but it's going to be perfect. No more sin. Imperishable. For this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So friends, we have to remember that as we are born in sin, you're born in sin, you're born a sinner, we are destined to forever perish. If we are left in our sin, we are destined to forever perish, right? The scriptures say, in Adam all die. But when we are born again and we are raised from the dead, we will forever live. When we are born again, we are born to forever live. In Christ, all shall be made alive. That is the glorious gospel. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And I love this. Love this scripture. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? If you read that, you can, you can hear this sense of taunting. The sense of, of taunting of God to death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? It's so foolish to think that Satan has any power over us in our victorious, glorious Savior. Where is your victory? 
And then thanks be to God who gave us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, it's not our victory. It's his victory. And his victory is put on us. And we stand victorious. What a glorious truth. Can we, can we even wrap our heads around this? That there will be no more dying, no more sting, no more pain, no more suffering. I can't wait for this day. Even though I don't suffer like some suffer. I cannot wait for this day for, for me and for you and for others who are suffering. And I pray that you feel the same. The glorious truth in these verses alone should drive us to our knees. In thanks to God. Because there's nothing that we have done to earn this. Nothing that we have done has brought this into our life. God alone has saved us and he has granted this to us through repentance and faith. He is victorious. We receive that. The powerful gospel of Jesus Christ alone. So in him, we have this eternal victory over sin and death. And we cannot wait for that day. We want it to come now. Jesus, come now. Relieve us from the pain of this place. But we still live here, right? God has not saved us and transferred us instantly to the kingdom of God. We are in his kingdom, yes, but not in glory yet. He has left us here, remember, for a purpose. We are doing his work while we are here. That's our sole priority in this life. But in that, we still experience the pain and the suffering, the fallenness of this world, right? So let me ask you, how many people have experienced sadness in their life? How many people have experienced pain and suffering, sickness and disease, health issues? Do we enjoy these things? No, we don't. We don't enjoy these things at all. How about relationship breakdown? How about conflict, divorce, separation? How many here have shed tears and tears and tears over things and experiences in your life? How many have experienced sorrow and sadness, perhaps losing a family member or a close friend to death? All of these things are a result of the fallenness of our world. We have disobeyed our Lord from the very beginning. We, we balled up our fists at him and said, we're going our own way. We ate the fruit. And all of us continue in those steps of Adam, in Adam all die, we have brought this into our sinful world, and it affects the very edges of all the universe. But this is the truth. This is not going to exist in heaven. This is going to be no more. At the end, this is all going to be thrown into the lake of fire. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth of eternal glory, perfection, no more sin. I love Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is repeated. I mean, that was, that's Isaiah prophesying 700 years before Jesus that he, this, this man, is going to swallow up death forever. And then at the very end, Revelation 21.4, we see this again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is not going to exist in the glories of heaven. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more suffering. No more death. No more conflict. No more sadness. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more sin. No more temptation. When he comes, we're going to be finally free. We are going to be forever free. Forever free from the fallenness of this world. Forever free from our own flesh. Forever free from the devil. And so he's coming soon. Get ready for it. Get excited for it. No more pain. No more sorrow. Get ready for it. I read a blog this past week by a, a guy from Ontario named Rick Nakalik is his name, Rick Nakalik, and it was entitled, The Lord Gave Us a Casket for Christmas. So the author of this blog and his, his family, they're, they're going through their own Job-like experience right now. Three weeks ago, him and his wife took their six-month-old baby and, and laid him down for a nap. And they went and they, they were downstairs and they went to, to go and check on him and they found him dead unexplainable, really no reason. He was, just had a healthy checkup, but he died, and they couldn't revive him. And so for the past three weeks, Rick and his wife have been grieving and, and sorrowing over the loss of, of their child. They're suffering because of the fallenness of this world. The sting of death has invaded their home. But the hope is this, is that these people believe they are Christians. They read God's word. They know the truth. And in the middle of this, if you could imagine it, this is only three weeks ago, they are finding hope and they are even looking forward to Christmas, the promise of Christ's coming and the future resurrection of them and their child. In the middle of this, they have hope of seeing him again in his resurrected body. The world doesn't have that hope. The world is hopeless. They don't know the truth. But in the midst of this suffering, Christians can have hope and hope eternal. He writes this. He, he's the one who preached at his, his son's funeral. He said, I know what it means to find true sustaining hope in the future of the resurrection. And I was blessed with the strength and the opportunity to preach these truths and the hope they contain over the casket carrying my son's body at his funeral. He said, the road to resurrection began with the incarnation. And so when we think about Christmas and we think about incarnation, think about resurrection. Think about the end. All of this is pointing to one final glorified event as we are raised with our Savior. The incarnation of, of Christ is, should be front and center this Christmas. Remembering that He is coming back. He is coming back to raise us up. He's going to remove that sting of death. And he will be, and we will be forever free. Forever free. It's amazing. He's coming back. And then as we follow, again, all the scripture is from Handel's Messiah, the last movement, right? And as we're following this scripture, we're also going to see that he is coming for us. He is coming for us. Get ready for everlasting love. Romans 8.30. 
Romans 8.30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified. That is yet to come. Glorified. This is God's eternal plan of grace. A plan of everlasting love for sinners. Paul outlines the order of salvation here just in this one verse. We see that in eternity past, God loved us and he chose us. He called us. Then he justified us. Remember, to be justified by God is to be declared righteous. It's not your own righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness declared to you. You are declared holy. Now, this holiness is, remember, again, like I said, is is not from us. Where does it come from? Where does the righteousness and the holiness come from that we are declared? It comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from his life. We are not declared holy because we are holy. We are declared holy because he is holy. He is righteous. That's the heart of the gospel. We have to understand that. That is the core essential truth of understanding the faith. That's how it all works. And what's so incredible about this passage is that Paul doesn't stop with that. Friends, Paul is continuing to talk about our salvation, that it is not fully complete until we are resurrected from the dead, when when we become what we are declared to be glorified. To be glorified is to become what you are declared. So remember your justification. You are declared righteous, but yet you still walk in sin in this life. But when you die or Christ returns, you are going to be raised from the dead and glorified, meaning that you are becoming what you have been declared, okay? You're becoming in practice who you are in position in Jesus Christ. Our salvation is only fully complete when we are finally resurrected from the dead and we are declared or we are brought to a place of glory. It's amazing. God did all of this, and it's been the plan from the very beginning to send His Son so that we can partake in this forever. And it's all wrapped up in grace and love. Grace and love for you. Grace and love for you. God loves you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the love that God has for his children. That's the love we need to focus on this Christmas. Everlasting, grace-fueled love towards you. All wrapped up in a child in a manger, love in a manger. Think of it, the incarnate God wrapped up in swaddling clothes, full of love for you, full of love for you. We need to remember this. This needs to be at the center of what we celebrate over the next couple days, that God is so full of love to send his son for us and that he is going to complete what he has started. He is going to complete it He's going to lavish his love upon us forever and ever. He's coming for us. He's coming for us. Now, it's easy for us today to to get caught up in this love, even though we can't really comprehend this everlasting love. 
We can get all caught up in that and, and lose sight of reality here that, yes, we have this love, we have this promised love, but the world doesn't. The world that does not know him does not have this love. They don't have this, this mystery of this resurrection coming. Yes, they are going to be raised, but they are going to be raised to judgment. But we want them to be raised to life, to share in this love. God's plan is to use us to that end. We have to understand this, that, that as Christians, again, like I've said before, our mission is to be the people who are going to the world with this love, with this word, this gospel, and that God saves his elect people through us. It's a mystery. God saves his people through us, right? He has to use his people to share that good news. And so that's what I want to commend to you this Christmas. As you go home to your families, as you spend time with friends, as you spend time in the world interacting with people, make it a challenge, make it a promise just this Christmas to share this good news with one person. One person. I mean, Christmas is, is a time that is just readily available to share this news with the world. It's very easy to bring up at this time. Like you just wish Merry Christmas to somebody. Ask them what they're celebrating. Share the good news of this Christ who has come. And so challenge yourselves. Maybe that one family member that uh, is not easy to talk to. Love them. Love them. And as God gives the opportunity, share the good news of Christ with them. Maybe with your neighbor that you see out shoveling his walk. Take the time. Walk over to him. Go and share the love of Christ with him. Think about your own parents. Think about brothers. Think about sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins. Take that opportunity amidst the busyness and the chaos and the wrapping and the tree and all that fun stuff. Take that time and talk to them. Tell them the good news. Because that's love. That's what true love is is to show them that apart from God, they are on a path to eternal wrath. But we have that love that we can share. So let's commit to that over this holiday, this Christmas break. Share that with somebody, because he is coming back. And he is coming back for his people. He's coming back for us to shower us with everlasting love. And then as, as Handel's Messiah, as all of this whole orchestral piece closes... He reminds us through the scriptures here in Revelation 5, 13, Revelation 5, 13, that Christ is coming back in glory. Christ is coming back in glory. He's coming in glory. So we need to get ready for eternal worship. We need to get excited about eternal worship. Revelation 5, 13, and I heard every creature in heaven, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. He's coming back in glory. We see every creature here. That means all of the angels. That means all of us who believe in him. All of creation rightfully worshiping the creator of the universe who is full of glory forever. When you think about this, think about this as your perpetual song. Your perpetual song as you look to the king on the throne in heaven. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. 
the sacrificial lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. As we think about our glorified bodies, you know, as I look at myself and I'm missing an arm, I'm going to have an arm. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to have another arm. But then I want you to think of this also. Think about Jesus when he resurrected from the dead. Remember, Thomas was doubting him. And to prove that he was the resurrected Savior, what did Christ show him? He showed him that there was the marks of the scars of the nails in his hands. So just think about that. Think about us in our perfected glory, and Christ still bears the scars for us. A forever reminder of what he has done for us. And so that's going to do nothing but cause us to worship him forever. Just think about us. Think, think about uh, heaven. You may have, I don't know what your understanding of heaven is, okay? Scripture tells us that it's going to be like the Garden of Eden again, right? We had the Garden of Eden in the middle. We, Adam and Eve walked with God. They, they talked with God. Perfect harmony. No sin. It's going to be happening again. There is going to be a, a tree again. And in all of this, we are going to be singing with the angels, working for Him, serving our Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. This is going to be our joyous chorus as we all gather together in the celestial city. It's going to blow our minds. Why, does that, uh, why is heaven going to cause so much celebration? Again, reminding us that there's no more pain, no more sorrow, but we get to be in the face of Jesus Christ in his glory forever. It's his presence. It's his forever presence that is heaven. When you actually think about it, heaven is God's very presence. That's what heaven is. No matter what we think about what heaven's going to be and what we're going to be doing, the glory of heaven is that we are in his presence forever and ever and ever. Revelation 19.16, who is this Who is this? resurrected Savior. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is our joy. That's where your joy is found, is in this eternal King of Kings, this eternal Lord of Lords. He is our King. He is our joy. This is our everlasting Lord, and there is no greater joy than being in his presence forever. This is what we've been created for. This is where we find uh, inexpressible joy. So again, like I don't know what your view of heaven is. Perhaps you're thinking that there's going to be clouds and harps. Um, maybe you think heaven is just about doing your favorite thing that you like here for all of infinity. But as great and as beautiful as those thoughts are, looking at the earth and what it provides and then trying to transcribe that to heaven it's absolutely nothing in comparison to the presence of God. Nothing. That's what heaven is, is that we're going to be there with Him. In perfect communion with Him forever. Delighting in your God as your God delights in you. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, My soul, you shall swim in happiness. You shall dive in seas of inconceivable delight by reason of your union with Christ and your delight in him and his delight in you. I know no better idea of heaven than to be eternally content, 
with Christ and Christ to be eternally content with me. This is what heaven is. This is everlasting joy. Being reunited with the one who you sinned against because he came for you. And he's coming again. He's coming in glory. So we need to get ready for that. Get ready for eternal worship. So as we celebrate Christmas, as we remember this, as we advent, right, thinking about the old of his coming, that the world had been longing for his arrival, and that he finally came as a baby, as he came as Emmanuel, as God with us. Remember, we remembered his promised nativity. We remembered his perfect life and his sufficient death. We remembered his miraculously resurrection and his necessary ascension to the right hand of the Father. Remember that Christmas doesn't end with a manger. It doesn't end with a cross. It doesn't end with the open grave. It doesn't even end with our ascended Lord. Christmas points us to everlasting life with him. Everlasting life in the glorious presence of him. So let's get excited about that like we've never been excited before. Right At Christmas, we can be tempted to think that, that joy and happiness is found with infinite presence, right? But let's find our joy with His infinite presence. He's coming again. Get ready for His infinite presence. He's coming again. Get ready for forever freedom. He's coming for us. Get ready for everlasting love. He is coming in glory. Get ready for eternal worship. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to open your word and that uh, we know that you speak and you speak powerfully through your word. We thank you for your spirit that illuminates the text to us and teaches us the truth about who you are and who we are in light of you. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that uh, before the foundation of the world, you set your eyes on sinners, that you love sinners, that you came to die for sinners. You came to resurrect us from the dead, and you came to bring us to your side forever. Lord, help us this Christmas. Help us in all of the busyness and all of the fun and all of the joy to remember you, to remember these truths and to celebrate it in our hearts as we will with you forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.